Hello and welcome to One Digital's COVID-19 Employer Advisory Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to provide business leaders with the latest commentary on evolving business and economic news that impacts healthcare, business, and the workplace. In each episode, our One Digital advisors will be addressing evolving coronavirus situations, translating them for employers so they can be proactive for their organizations and develop their business planning strategies. Good afternoon and welcome to today's COVID-19 advisory session. My name is Nancy Sapperstone, Regional Director of Marketing for One Digital and the moderator of today's discussion. This session will provide answers to the top questions our customers are asking of our consultants as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The information we're talking about today is meant as guidance for all employers, but we know that many of our registrants today are that what we would consider small business, and as a result, we will ensure that the responses are mindful of your concerns as well. Now, I want to introduce our panelists. So please welcome One Digital Carolinas, Tennessee Regional Managing Director of HR Consulting, Julie Vogus. One Digital's Mid-Atlantic's Regional Managing Director of HR Consulting, Ann Gilson. And VP of Legal Counsel for HR Consulting, Jamie Webb Akasaka. We're going to be intentional about covering what you can be doing with your employees. So I want to start off with a discussion about the new Family First Coronavirus Response Act. Jamie, can you start us off with an overview of the act? Sure, let's dive right in. So the Families First Coronavirus Response Act has a couple of key components to it, the FMLA extension as well as the emergency paid sick leave. We're gonna start off with the FMLA extension. So this applies to private employers with fewer than 500 employees. Now, uh, keep in mind that if you have over 500 employees but you're anticipating uh, reduction in force and it may bring your numbers below 500, this will definitely apply to you. So keep that in mind. Uh, Additionally, the act may be limited to uh, employees over 50 or more, um, but that will depend on what the Department of Labor does. They have that authority to down the road, uh, make that restriction. As of right now, it does apply to employers uh, with one one to 50 employees. So uh, those are definitely uh, key numbers and you should pay attention here. So the uh, employees are qualified for the FMLA extension leave if they are Uh, if they've been employed for 30 calendar days or more. This uh, reduces the eligibility time under regular FMLA rules, uh, and it now provides a broader expansion. It also applies if employees are unable to work or telework, that means remotely, to care for uh, a minor child if their school or child care is closed or unavailable due to a public health emergency. So this would include closure due to the coronavirus. Now, uh, in order to take advantage of that, uh, what they receive is they receive a 12-week FMLA leave benefit. So the same amount of time that you would get otherwise under the FMLA uh, also applies for this particular purpose. Now, it's important to note the first 10 days of this type of leave are unpaid uh, and then after that, it's two-thirds of their regular rate of pay up to a maximum of $200 per day 
and $10,000 in the aggregate. Now, for the first 10 days, uh, employees are able to uh, use their existing paid sick leave or paid time off or vacation to cover those first unpaid days, as well as using the emergency paid sick leave uh, portion of the Families First Act for that first 10 days. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, similar to regular FMLA, their uh, employees are entitled to restoration to their position. So they do have job protection. Uh, there is an exception for employers with, 25, with less than 25 employees. Uh, and there's certain requirements that must be met if you um, intend to, to be able to avoid that, that um, restriction. But otherwise, restoration is there. Now, employers may exclude healthcare providers and emergency responders from this uh, benefit. And that's up to their choice. So what does this mean? This portion of the bill, it's in effect starting April 2nd, and it will go through the end of this year. Now, you may be thinking, well, a lot of people are already maybe taking time off to handle this situation, and so would this benefit be retroactive? Uh, the answer is currently no, it's not retroactive. It would only be looking forward. So how does maybe, you might be thinking, the FMLA work until April 2nd? Well, it's going to be the same as it currently is now, which is that uh, employees can take FMLA for their own serious health condition or to care for a family member with a serious health condition. And that has to be uh, something more than just flu-like symptoms. It usually involves hospitalization or uh, incapacitation with treatment. Uh, so that would be something like maybe complications that arise from these flu-like symptoms. Now, the FMLA uh, would continue on. The, the same reasons for taking uh, regular FMLA would continue on uh, after April 2nd. Those ability or provisions would still be there. So you may be thinking, well, what if an employee has already exhausted their regular FMLA benefit? Um, that isn't strictly addressed within the bill. Um, I think as a more uh, conservative matter, I would say that uh, you may want to consider providing the separate benefit to them uh, in addition to these the uh, regular FMLA leave reasons. Uh, but I suspect we'll see some clarity on that in the coming days as the regulations get formulated. So stay tuned for that. Uh, what kind of paperwork is required? Um, that's not specifically stated in the bill, uh, but generally you would want to use your uh, FMLA paperwork that you're currently using and just add uh, this benefit as one of the reasons for why it would be taking, why you would be taking it. So let's talk about the emergency paid sick leave portion of the act. So again, it does apply to private employers with fewer than 500 employees, but it also applies to public entities with one or more employees. So that's uh, an added extension there. And it also uh, applies to all employees regardless of their uh, length of employment. So if you hire somebody today, they would be entitled to receive emergency paid sick leave. Now let's take a look at some of the covered reasons for why uh, a, an employee would be able to take advantage of the paid sick leave. So if a government entity issued a quarantine or isolation order, uh, they could take the emergency paid sick leave for that reason. Um, this is 
something that's coming out uh, most recently yesterday, California and Pennsylvania both issued uh, isolation orders. Uh, so it would uh, possibly apply to them. Um, it would also apply if a healthcare provider advised an employee to self-quarantine, uh, as well as if an employee is just experiencing symptoms related to the coronavirus and they're seeking medical advice. Now, it can also apply for an, an employee to care for an individual who is subject to uh, one of those first two covered reasons. So that individual is under an isolation order and the employee needs to care for them, or uh, an individual is, has been advised to self-quarantine and the employee needs to care for them. So that would qualify under number four there. And number five is that reason we discussed under the extension for the FMLA uh, is if an employee needs to uh, provide childcare due to a school or a care provider closure or unavailability, uh, this is one of those covered reasons uh, that you could use and then supplement that unpaid time under the FMLA extension. And then finally, any other substantially similar condition identified by uh, uh, HHS. Now, the reason why we have them listed out there is because it gets a little um, funky under the benefits portions to, uh, to help sort of visualize what that looks like. So the benefit for full-time employees is 80 hours. And the benefit for part-time employees is the equivalent to their average hours worked in a two-week period. So, for example, if somebody typically worked 20 hours in a week, uh, they would be entitled to about 40 hours for a two-week, the equivalent of a two-week period. So, if you look here, um, for covered reasons one through three, an employee would be eligible for benefits up to $511 per day and $5,110 in the aggregate. And for reasons four through six, they would be in, uh, entitled up to $200 per day and $2,000 in the aggregate. Now, where this gets interesting <laughs> is if we go back and look at the, um, if somebody is taking their FMLA extension benefit to uh, stay home and care for a child, um, and it, the, defin the statement is actually a son or daughter, and that's how they're looking at it. It has the same meaning as under uh, regular FMLA rules. But if they um, are doing that, then they're basically getting paid two-thirds of their regular rate for both the period to uh, uh, the 10-day waiting period under the paid sick leave, and that's that option of uh, pay for numbers four through six. And then they're also getting um, paid, uh, and the benefit is two-thirds of their, their pay for um, under the FMLA extension. So I know it's a little complicated, um, but you have to understand that there's these sort of different rates depending on why you're taking it and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully that helps. Now this too goes into effect starting April 2nd and will go through the end of the year. Uh, now this is an interesting question uh, that we've, people have had. And so you may be asking, well, is this emergency paid sick leave in place of or is it in addition to other mandated paid sick leave or company provided paid sick leave, right? So if you live in a, if you work in an area where your state already mandates paid sick leave, or if your company already offers it, maybe you're not mandated, but you do provide it. Um, is this emergency paid sick leave supposed to be uh, 
you know, in, in place of it? And the answer to that is no. It is going to be in addition to what you already provide. Uh, because there is language um, in the bill that, that basically says that um, the employer cannot require uh, the employee to use other paid leave that is provided by the employer before the employee uses the sick time allowed here. So basically indicating that they are in fact separate. Uh, so that's a consideration there. Now that may have further clarification once they issue regulations. Um, so keep that in mind. This could all change depending on, you know, what people are talking about and, um, you know, what the, the government decides to do with these, uh, these rules. But as of right now, that's what it looks like. So, Jamie, a question kind of to piggyback on that. Are these leaves all running concurrent? That question is coming in, whether or not the leaves run concurrent. So, um, in terms of which ones? The FMLA and emergency care. So, um, for, for the paid sick leave? Yeah. Yeah, okay. sick leave and, and F expansion of FMLA. So, my, I believe that they are uh, concurrent. I don't believe that they are separate. Um, now, again, that, you know, depending on the clarification that comes out over the next probably week or so may, may change that, but uh, my understanding is that they are concurrent. Um, what type of paperwork is required? So um, this is sort of interesting. You know, obviously you're going to want a document like you would any other um, paid sick leave uh, type of situation. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out here is that we're seeing some um, local and state orders saying that employers cannot ask for documentation to support paid leave, um, either to take it or to return from it because they're not able to get doctor's notices, uh, you know, in sufficient time. This was something that was actually stated, um, originally in the, uh, the Orange County, California, um, uh, order that had come out earlier in the week. But this can be an issue and you may be wondering, well, what do we do? Um, and that's gonna be kind of problematic. Now, obviously the, um, the localities don't have jurisdiction over the federal laws. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, but, you know, again, I think this is gonna be a conversation for what people are able to get under the circumstances. Um, so I think this is going to be an ongoing discussion when you're having those types of um, things. Now, the bill itself is silent on what can be required or demanded from the employee for purposes of using emergency uh, paid sick leave. Um, so again, that's, that's one of those things I think we'll see some, uh, some further discussion as the days go on. Uh, now, hopefully you're all kind of aware that California and Pennsylvania are under isolation orders. Um, you know, what does that mean for these things, right? Well, if um, people are able to work remotely, um, you know, they're going to be subject to these same provisions. If they're part of um, an essential activity or essential business, they're also going to be subject to those. If you're closing uh, because you're not considered an essential business, um, some of these things may not apply to you. So keep that in mind as you know, the governments are, are trying to sort out how to manage this process.
Thank you, Jamie. I think that's a great overview. There's a lot of information. And I think to your point, we're going to be getting a lot of guidance on this as it gets closer. You know, it's just going to keep being a an ongoing kind of uh, information flow. So stay tuned for more information on that. I want to turn the attention now to some of the questions that have been coming in and some of the issues that employers are facing and dealing with with respect to their workplace. So kind of one of the hot questions that we keep getting is, can you take an employee's temperature? I'm going to throw that over to you, Julie. Thanks, Nancy. Great description, Jamie. Um, This is a very popular question right now, and the answer, like so many other things, has changed in the last few days. So what used to be considered a medical examination and was not allowed under the ADA Um, We've now been given the green light by the EEOC to go ahead and take employees' temperatures. So a fever, as defined by the CDC, is a temperature of 104, no, that would be bad, (laughs) 100.4 or greater. And it's one of the three most common symptoms of COVID-19, so including cough and shortness of breath. So it's not a perfect process. The CDC has also issued a precaution to remind employers that not everyone with COVID-19 has a fever and not everyone with a fever has COVID-19. So employees sent home due to COVID-19 concerns may be eligible for expanded unemployment insurance if paid leave or other relief is unavailable. Proper steps to take as an employer, um, absolutely be consistent with social distancing policies. Do not reveal the thermometer reading to other employees. So you might want to be sort of cognizant of where you're doing this. Is it a private space? If you've got employees lining up, make sure that they can't see the thermometer of the person in front of them. Um, Make sure that the thermometers are being disinfected between uses. Uh, You definitely need a clear definition of what is considered to be an elevated temperature and what steps are you prepared to take. Um, Critical to maintain confidentiality. and consistency for sure. You want to train someone to take the test and teach them how to do that properly. Um, And employers probably want to consider a temporary policy around variables. What if, what if you have an employee who refuses to have his temperature taken? Um, What if you have an employee that does register a fever? Um, What is your plan to send them home with or without pay? So lots of variables that we see here, very popular question, but absolutely be consistent with what you're doing. So I think you raise a really good point around the confidentiality, and that's also come up a lot in terms of, you know, how we handle situations. But you brought up something here. What do you do if you have an employee either with a high fever or, you know, above 100.4 or they come in sick? Um, Do you send them home? What are your options? The short answer is yes. Uh, We want to encourage employees to stay home if they feel sick, um, if they're showing any signs of being sick. Fever, chills, sore throat, cough, shortness of breath. You know, you watch your news every night and they're, they're keeping us up to date on what to look for. Um, but employees should be sent home. If you have employees that suspect they may have been exposed to someone with the virus, uh, they should be tested. Uh, if they've been tested, we get this question quite a bit. If they've been tested and they're waiting for a response, what do you do in that scenario? Um, definitely encourage them to stay at home and possibly self-quarantine. We don't want to be spreading this and exposing other people unnecessarily. So work through some common sense questions as the employer. Is the employee exempt or non-exempt? Are they showing symptoms? Have they been exposed to someone with the virus? Have they been tested? Possibly can they work from home? Lots of questions to consider. 
So now let's go to the scenario where you have somebody who has tested positive. What is your responsibility as an employer? How do you let other people know um, that this is the case? And I'm going to give you a chance to answer this one. First, right, I think the opportunity not to panic and to take a deep breath and be calm, that just because an individual has been tested positive and communicates that to you does not mean that that is an extreme scenario, and we want you to take some action. Specifically, you should notify your local public health agency. There are various agencies in all sorts of different states, and they're taking a whole host of different actions as it relates to communication within the community. So your specific region and state will determine certain things. There are places where there's a high incident of outbreak, and we wanna determine that exposure within your organization. So by having a conversation with an individual, we would suggest an ear-to-ear, -ear, a telephone conversation. Some of the individuals may be with you in person, and obviously social distancing is going to be critical at this point. <clears throat> You're obviously going to then have to think through the communication of individuals who may be exposed and have been exposed to that individual employee. There may be customers, there may be other vendors, and individuals that have been an connected to that person. And we obviously would strongly suggest you maintain a high sense of confidentiality and the concept of who needs to know should be very, very small. The name of the individual, the specifics of their condition, and all of the information should be maintained in a very tightly contained group of people. At the end of the day, an action that we would encourage you to think about right now is creating a list of your local agencies with the specific contact information and share that with the, your leaders. Thank you, Nancy. Sure. So I think, again, that confidentiality is coming up again as being very important. So now if we follow that same employee through we've now unfortunately had to either send them home or some other group of employees home with the reduction in hours sending employees home what are some of the considerations about paying exempt and non-exempt employees um, if they're not working their regular hours or you have to send them home Julie you want to take that one yeah, sure. Um, definitely between exempt and, and non-exempt employees, you need to understand the distinction. Um, exempt employees must be paid on a salary basis. So if they work any time during a work week, they have to be paid. Otherwise, you will be jeopardizing their, their status under FLSA. If they are hourly employees, you have a little bit more flexibility in terms of options. So you can look at um, furlough, you can look at some, some layoff options here, you can reduce the hours they work in a, in a week or possibly the weeks that they work, even in a day. So um, it's a little bit easier. Uh, you want to make sure that your policies are consistent. But definitely review your policies. And if you need to adjust them, because most policies, as we know, were not written for a scenario like this, so be cognizant of any changes that you need to make and make sure that you communicate that to employees. 
Um, Jamie, did you want to tag on anything there about uh, the legalities of furlough, layoff, and RIFs? So, um, right, just basically, you know, furlough um, in terms of uh, having a finite uh, period um, of time where some you're placing people off of work, but they're still considered employees versus uh, where you're going to lay them off uh, and they will no longer be employees. And you'll have to determine whether or not um, you will want to uh, have the option to rehire uh, once your business is able to become back online. Um, uh, so, you know, definitely to, to kind of keep those things in mind on, on what they are. Right. I think another interesting point in terms of kind of the um, non-exempt exempt is ensuring that employees are tracking their time um, appropriately when even though they are working, if they are working remotely, that they should, still should be tracking and entering time. Great point. So I just want to turn, we're also getting a lot of questions around the strategies that employers are using to manage kind of the employee exposure and isolation roles. Um, to that extent, a lot of them are working remotely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, some of the things that employers need to think about when we talk about a remote workforce. So in terms of the policies that you need to have in place, um, and can you talk to what companies should be thinking about? Absolutely. I think the first thing is, do you have a telecommuting policy? Have you addressed in the past individuals who may work from a remote place? If you don't, I would encourage you to do that. Um, if you have a telecommuting policy, I would imagine you would have to update that. And there's specific language that we would identify as some things to, to address. We will have a draft updated telecommuting policy available on the hub following this webinar. One of the big issues that will most likely be addressed with all of the organizations is as it relates to wage and hour considerations. So as many individuals know, we have exempt and non-exempt employees, and specifically on the non-exempt individuals, how do you address and what might you update on your policy for wage and hours? For exempt employees, maintaining the protocols for pay, there are for non-exempt individuals, clocking in and clocking out scenarios, which in some cases can be done electronically and remotely, and in other cases, an organization may have had literally a clock in and clock out physical mechanism that obviously would not be accessible to individuals. How will you make that adjustment? What kinds of documentation are you requesting from your employees? How will they be communicating that information on a consistent and ongoing basis? And if they don't communicate that, what might be some of the actions that you are going to have to consider as an organization? In terms of the time that individuals for exempt that are on call, and may have to be on the premise based on your current work needs, you will have to consider additional compensation for those either exempt or non-exempt individuals. The Fair Labor Standards Act considers an employee who's on call, if they must remain in the employer's premise, 
and unable to use their time for their own purposes. Employees who are required to remain on a location where the operation has shut down to assist, they may begin and be paid for the time spent, quote, holding the fort, if you will, despite inactivity. Each employee needs to consider both the legal and operational factors when determining their approach to their business. There's also a lot of information on the hub right now around how to manage your remote workforce. So I don't wanna take um, all the time right now to talk about that because that information is up on the hub and it is, it is very important, but I wanna make sure we have time to talk about furlough. Um, unfortunately, a lot of companies are really making the tough decision to furlough employees. Um, or to lay them off. Uh, is furlough an option if you don't know the end date? So uh, this is, I would say, a situation where employer planning will really kind of come into play. You definitely should be reviewing your, you know, sort of financial situation now and just take it step by step. Um, and that's generally what we're seeing in the field, right? So if you can uh, manage for the next week or two, maybe doing reduced work schedules or different types of um, cost-reducing measures, you know, consider starting there and then, you know, reassess at each um, period or, you know, where you feel that it is appropriate to reassess because obviously, um, you know, this is going to require ongoing review. Things are changing by the day and Sometimes it feels like by the minute. Um, so you're going to just want to have that, those plans in place, have contingency plans for when things change even more. Um, so, you know, California and Pennsylvania aren't going to be the only ones that are going to um, be locking down, so to speak. I think we'll see more states, maybe not necessarily all of them, but, you know, we'll probably see some more states do that. So, you know, be flexible. Listen to your employee concerns. Uh, you know, figure out if you need to maybe modify your policies or where, um, you know, you can make accommodations and things like that. This is just a very fluid process, and I know we're all trying to do our best um, in, in this situation. So just, just generally keep those things in mind. I think that's another great point, too, Jamie, with listening to your employees' concerns. And I think communicating often with your employees is really important, um, whether it is a furlough, layoff, whatever the decision may be. Um, so question, a lot of questions have come in around unemployment and when are employees eligible for unemployment? And do you wanna take this one? Absolutely. Um, you know, employees who are no longer with an organization have a right to apply for unemployment insurance benefits. Um, that is including if they are discharged, they are laid off, or terminated, as well as individuals who are partially unemployed. And so to the different states and various regulations, there are guidelines for that insurance, and many states are making changes to the benefits in real time. So you want to look to your state employment, unemployment regulations, but the websites are being updated as we speak, and many of those employees who are out of work due to the COVID-19 who are eligible for unemployment insurance and benefits, and we do anticipate that they will receive those benefits in a timely fashion. Okay, thank you. And then in terms of making those tough furlough or um, layoff decisions, what are some of the criteria that employers can be using to make those decisions? 
Yeah, I'll take this one. Um, definitely important considerations need to be um, thought through here as it relates to potential discrimination claims. Any protected groups should not be singled out in the process to reduce hours or eliminate positions. Uh, we need to be thinking about age, gender, race, um, and this can happen easily without realizing that you're doing it. So when you're looking to make adjustments, it should be based on objective criteria, such as last in, first out. Um, employees should focus on seniority, uh, employee status, potentially looking at eliminating all the part-time employees first, or basing decisions to terminate on skills. One caution here, if an employee goes with the merit-based process, be careful not to quote-unquote weed out the poor performers using the situation as a potential cover for what otherwise might be a bad decision to terminate employees. Um, also be careful to use the skill-based strategy uh, as this may unintentionally retain younger workers with the higher skills. So, you know, you want to kind of make sure that you're being fair with how you're setting your criteria. Use a selection process at the end of the day that utilizes several of the approaches I've just mentioned. And again, be consistent. Right. And I would also add, and I don't know if, Jamie, you have anything to add, to make sure you document how you're making your decisions um, so that you have some kind of backup to what the decisions are that you are making. Jamie, do you have anything to add? But the one thing that I would add is it relates to an adverse action. Um, so there are some specific constraints as it relates to specific populations. And there's a whole host of information, both on our website and you know, talk to your HR consultant as it relates to adverse action with those kinds of reductions. Definitely. Great. So I want to go, we've been getting a lot of questions here coming in today in addition to what we had um, gotten along with the registration. So I want to go back and look at some of those questions right now. Um, Jamie, early on in the session, you talked about how healthcare employees were not part of um, some of the new legislation. Is there a definition or is there any guidance right now in terms of who is considered a healthcare worker? Uh, you know, there there is, uh, I don't have the language in front of me right this moment, but there is a definition within the bill uh, itself. So if you uh, take a look at that, and I believe that may be uh, posted on the hub or described further on the hub. Um, but generally, if you're um, in, you know, working in uh, doctors or healthcare offices or hospitals, if you work... Um, uh, you know, for any kind of first responder type, um, you know, employer and things like that. Um, generally, people providing uh, medical care or uh, access to medicine and medical care, um, generally that that's what would be encompassed in that. Okay. Um, just looking through some of these questions that we have coming in. Um, if there is a statewide shelter in place, similar to what has already been put in place in California and Pennsylvania, is that automatically applicable to all employers or does it depend state by state how the state has decided to go about shelter in place? Yeah, so each state is going to have their own order. Um, some You may be seeing things right now that are just guidance or you may be seeing only local authorities issuing orders. Uh, if 
the state does decide to do it, it will be an order typically from your governor um, who will issue specific guidelines of what is encompassed. And each state is different. There are slightly different nuances and rules about um, what is maybe considered essential um, and you know whether or not people can do things outside of essential activities. So that's gonna be very state specific. Okay. What about um, where a company has, you know, a PTO bucket where they're putting together vacation sick and personal time? That designation in terms of what portion of that is sick and how do they handle that with the legislation? So um, that's going to be separate from what they have already. So if you have, um, you know, a a bucket of your standard PTO and paid sick leave that you're already offering, this will be a separate bucket and a separate policy um, that people will be able to draw on um, for the approved reasons. And one other thing that I might add to that is that many individual organizations with um, eligibility rules as it relates to both PTO or which is, you know, paid time off policy, or if you have separate programs for sick pay, vacation time, and such, that many organizations are making adjustments and some of the policy changes that are occurring. And so you might wanna think through this new bill and how it relates to your policy of the past and your policy today. That's a great point, Anne. Yeah. We also are looking just a little, I know you uh, talked a little bit about this early on, but some clarification between now and April 2nd, um, you know, what employers can use and do. So for up until April 2nd, um, employers still have accessible to them the standard FMLA um, leave that is unpaid for an employee's own serious uh, health condition or to care for um, a family member uh, with a serious health condition. So that can still be used. Uh, that is not, and that will be used even after April 2nd. The, the only addition that happens on, on April 2nd is the ability to use the FMLA benefit to uh, cover the lack of childcare in the absence of school or availability of childcare. So that's just an additional reason, but to use it for your own uh, serious health condition, you can continue to do that uh, as of right now up through April 2nd. Um, and the, the emergency paid sick leave does not go into effect until April 2nd. So you're just going to be using your own uh, current policies on vacation, PTO, and paid sick leave if you offer it. And actually one thing that I'd, I'd like to add is that a lot of people have been asking, can they use FMLA if, they're, if they have a fear of being exposed? And that isn't a qualifying event as of right now in terms of the interpretation. So they actually have to be under the care of a doctor um, for either themselves for their serious health condition or a family member for theirs. That's a good point. Um, in terms of, we talked a little bit about exempt, non-exempt. If you have an exempt employee working from home, are you able to reduce their salary um, because they're working from home or to cut, you know, to save some cost? I'll take that one. Um, it, again, going back to the difference between exempt and non-exempt, you've got to be really sensitive to exempt employees 
if they're doing any work in a given work week, they have to be paid for it. So even if they're working from home and you've quote unquote furloughed them um, and they're at home, if they happen to check an email or answer a call, um, that's considered work during the work week and they have to be paid um, what they would normally be paid. So again, you've got to be really careful about the whole work from home structure, your policies around that, your guidance to your employees that are working from home, and you know, just making sure that, that you're consistent with how you're applying that. And, and yeah. to that end, thank you, Julie, I think there's also some specific information that we would have you talk to your leaders and communicate to their teams as it relates to work at home. The nuances that many of us are dealing with from sharing office space or dining room tables, both with pets, children, and all other nuances that we did not anticipate this week is real. And how people are managing that and how people are dealing with that. First, think about the individual and ask and check in to see how they are doing. Second, we wanna pay attention to our, our families and how they are working and managing through this. Many individuals are now work uh, school moms that they had not anticipated and homeschooling their children in a whole new way. And obviously you wanna pay attention to the colleague connection and that could be done in a whole variety of ways, whether it be hosting weekly sessions from your teams, encouraging colleagues to connect with one another, and obviously, many of us, we are in business, and therefore, you want to reach out to your clients and do the work of the work. But if we're not okay in terms of how we work remotely and then work with our, within these new environments, then we really can't serve our clients. So it is family first, and we encourage you to do the same in these remote times. Yeah, and again, I think we have some information up on the hub and we've referenced the hub and I just want to make sure everybody knows where to find that. That is on onedigital.com backslash coronavirus or you can just go to onedigital.com and get to the hub through the main page. Um, and there is a lot of information on kind of working remote and so a lot of what we're, we'll put information up there today in terms of uh, what we've talked about as well and continue to grow that hub. Um, a few, we're going to have a few more questions. Did somebody want to say something? Oh, Nancy, I was just going to um, add on to um, what Julie and Ann were saying um, in terms of the, the question you asked if people can be reducing wages. Um, although that certainly is a difficult decision, that is an option as long as you meet the minimum requirements. For non-exempt, obviously you have to be paying the applicable minimum wage. Uh, and for exempt, you need to meet the uh, minimum salary standard for exempt employees. Okay, and we have some, um, a furlough question. If we furlough employees prior to April 2nd, does this act apply to these employees while they are on furlough? So the answer to that would be no. Uh, I don't believe so uh, because if you're in, typically what happens when you are furloughing people, they're not getting paid or receiving benefits. Typically they would go on to uh, unemployment insurance um, benefits for that period um, because they would have a break in employment and they would likely be eligible in most states. Um, so no, a, a furlough is, is sort of a break in employment even though they may not necessarily be terminated, um, but uh, I don't believe that they would be eligible during that time. 
And, and I want to bring back a point that Julie made earlier as it relates to um, furloughing individuals. Um, there is a get clarity between laying off a reduction in for a reduction in force as well as the furlough. And based on whatever decision the organization makes, that the leaders are clear in terms of the nuances. And most importantly, if an individual actually works when they are on furlough, that you will then be required to pay them the non-exempt by the hours that they work and the exempt for that full week. So be cautious. Mm -hmm. And I think also they may change. You may start as a furlough and unfortunately have to move to a reduction in force or layoff. So it's all very fluid in terms of how these are handled. Um, another question around the law, and sorry, Jamie, we keep kind of pivoting to you on this law, which is on everybody's mind. And you may not know this, this may be more of a tax question, but in terms of the tax credit, do you know how that is going to work and come back to the companies? Uh, generally, that's going, I think they each apply a little bit separately um, or a little bit differently, but generally, uh, I believe it goes against your um, the Social Security tax on a quarterly basis for the FMLA extension um, and then for the uh, paid sick leave portion, um, I think that's against the uh, employment taxes. Uh, and I believe it's a one-to-one -one ratio is my understanding. So just one last kind of question on furlough and, and layoff. And in terms of what is appropriate, what is required in terms of the notice that you give employees before you either lay them off or furlough them? I'll throw it out to anybody. So um, I, I can speak to that a little bit. Um, so basically, you know, you should obviously give as much notice as possible. Um, there are some uh, considerations under the Federal Warn Act as well as State Warn Acts. Um, <clears throat> California actually recently just waived their Warn Act requirement because of the unusual circumstance that we're in. I wouldn't be surprised if we see that happen among other states that have their own Warn Acts. Um, and typically, a Warren Act requires that, you know, at least under the federal version, if you have 100 or more employees uh, and you lay out 50 or more of them, that you have to give at least 60 days notice. Now, there are exceptions for that in the uh, federal Warren Act, um, uh, of which, you know, a pandemic would likely qualify. <laughs> so, um, obviously, do as the best that you can to give as much as notice as possible. Um, always feel free to double check the requirements with your legal counsel, but generally, um, you know, I think we're, we're, everybody's just trying to do the best they can at this point. Yeah, and I think as it relates to communication with employees, um, the, the reality is many of you don't know an answer to many of the questions that individuals are coming to you with. I would suggest you reach out to people, proactively communicate that you heard the question, and that you will be getting back to them. As it relates to the furlough and a layoff and the notifications, the, the, under these circumstances, many of you will not be able to have the anticipated notice because your business is shutting down unexpectedly. 
or you think you will be able to continue work in such a circumstance and that shifts based on a whole host of changes that are not anticipated from one day to another. So, uh, you know, as you communicate to your employees, be upfront, be candid, be transparent, and try and share as much information as possible. It's gonna be a challenge for all of us. And in these circumstances, more is better. And whether it's a Zoom call on an ongoing basis, whether it be daily, it's communicating via text or email, more is better at, under these times of stress and people have fears and those are real. And fear drives, it can drive funky behavior and you wanna mitigate that. And I think you said that fabulously. And so we're gonna end the session on that um, because I think that's a great message um, to really be communicating with your employees. So I wanna thank Julie, um, Jamie and Anne for your time today and your preparation in today's session. We understand that this is incredibly taxing for all of our employers. And we hope that we have been able to provide some actionable advice for you guys to put to work today. Thank you for listening to this episode of One Digital's COVID-19 Employer Advisory Podcast. There's never been a time more than now during which our commitment to standing as one with our customers and providing peace of mind is more important. We are committed to providing the guidance you need to make complex decisions even in the most challenging times. For additional resources, thought leadership, or for the latest employer information related to the COVID-19 pandemic, please visit onedigital.com forward slash coronavirus. Thank you.